Irvin Avenue, you all have been very faithful uh, to give as God, um, as God called you to give. So before we go into the text and preach the word, uh, let's pray and thank God for what he has done, for the faithfulness of his people, and for the tithes and the offerings that we give. Father, I thank you for this day. I thank you for your love and for your forgiveness. I thank you that you continue to honor us and to bless us with an income. And God, I thank you, uh, and I mean individuals, members of this congregation, I thank you that, that you continue to bless this church with the tithes and the offerings of those individuals. Father, help us to continue to be faithful. Help us to follow you uh, and to use the uh, tithes and the offerings that you bring into this church, into this, uh, this congregation. Help us to use them to glorify your name. In Jesus' name, amen. And today, I'm going to ask you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians chapter 3. And we're going to look at verses 1 through 6. Uh, and it's a very interesting. Again, we understand that the Apostle Paul has, um, is, is, is defending himself. Have you ever had to defend yourself? Uh, see, I could ask that as more than a rhetorical question, but often we have to defend ourselves. We have to try to prove to people that what we said or what we did, uh, there were good motives behind all of that. And some people may have understood what we said or understood what we did, but, but our motives were good. And well-intentioned. And the Apostle Paul is defending himself, and he does it in more than one way. And this time, uh, he gets to them, and he talks to them about the letters that people would sometimes write. Letters of commendation, letters of introduction, if you will. And, um, and the way the Apostle Paul does this is quite interesting. It's more than what I would ever um, think or I would ever imagine. Um, but the Apostle Paul, in writing this, was, of course, led by the Spirit of God. And so... This is not just the way that Paul thinks. This is the way that God led him to think and led him to write. So if you have your Bibles, uh, I'm going to ask you if you're able to, to rise uh, in honor of God's word, stand in honor of God's word as we read uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. The Apostle Paul writing again under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Do we begin again to commend ourselves? Or do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. And we have such trust through Christ toward God, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills and the Spirit gives life. Father, thank you again for your word. Father, as we open it to read it, to study it, to preach it, God, open it to us for understanding and for obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. The Apostle Paul, again, working on defending himself <clears throat> and working on defending his his ministry and the gospel, he begins to write to these uh, in this third chapter, and he says, do we begin again to commend ourselves? And, and when we look at that, um, one of the things that we need to understand is as these guys would travel, as ministers and preachers would travel, they would take with them letters of commendation. And basically, these letters of commendation were uh, letters of recommendation, okay, or letters of introduction, um, Somebody had to know and understand whether this person was worthy of listening to or not. Uh, 
um, whether this person was worthy of allowing into the church or not, whether this person was, uh, was a, a true gospel preacher or not. And so, so they would take letters commending themselves, introducing themselves. Here's what he talks about. Here's what he does. Some of them may not have been preachers. Some of them may have just been, uh, what's that word, um, uh, self-help evangelists. Hey, I can help you do this. They might have been teaching them something, okay? I understand some of our teachers went to a, um, a conference and had a speaker, very good motivating speaker. I'm confident that, that her message was not Jesus Christ can save you, but it was good stuff for them as far as their teaching profession is concerned. And so she probably had letters from somebody that recommended her to come do this. Okay, so this is the same kind of idea. that We begin again to, to commend ourselves. And when he says this, we don't, basically he's saying, again, do we begin again to commend ourselves? Because when the Apostle Paul went to Corinth the first time, probably there were people that introduced him to people, uh, to the people in Corinth, people that knew him or letters that he carried. Um, do you remember when he started to go to Damascus to kill Christians? Do you remember that? What did he carry with him? Letters from the chief priests saying that he could arrest those in the synagogues that were worshiping Christ. Letters of introduction, same kind of idea. And so when he went to Corinth, the letter of introduction was a little bit different. Not he's here to kill Christians, but he's here to lead people to Christ so they can become Christians. But he had done that when he first went to Corinth, and now he's saying, do we need to do that again? You know? I mean, it'd kind of like be, be like if um, every time uh, I met one of you, <laughs> by the way, I'll just go with this. There was a guy... Um, Named Bob Blattner. Does anybody know? Did anybody know Bob Blattner? My mother did. Does. I don't know if he's still living. Bob Blattner was an amazing guy. He was the Illinois Baptist State Association Director of Collegiate Ministries. Okay? So he led the Baptist Student un Union. He was the boss of all this stuff. And uh, he was fantastic. And he could play um, racquetball like nobody's business. And ping pong too. And he, uh, I think one time I played, with him, played against him and um, he just played me. Um, but... Every so often, he would come down to the campus at, at uh, uh, Southern Illinois University where Kathy and I were and where we met, and um, he would go after, and we're, and we're engaged, okay? Not yet married, but we're engaged, and he would look at me and he'd go, Curtis, have you met Kathy? <laughs> and I'm going, yeah, and he knew exactly what he was doing. That's just the kind of, but, but I, we did not need another introduction, Okay. And so this kind of thing for the Apostle Paul to say, do we begin again to commend ourselves or to introduce ourselves, is kind of ridiculous, okay? I didn't need an introduction to Kathy, okay? I knew her. We were engaged. We were ready to get married. But he was introducing us every time. Um, and, uh, and so he's saying, do we need this again? Absolutely not. And then, or do we need as some others? Okay, by the way, as some others. And most of those as some others are probably those who... Um, uh, who are, what's the one I'm looking for, um, not really preaching the true gospel. I don't want to say false prophets, but that might be what they were doing. Uh, do we need, as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you? I think this is interesting. Do we need to write letters again or have somebody write a letter to you telling, us who, telling you who we are so that you understand what we're all about? Do we need that again? That's ridiculous. Or maybe here's something even more ridiculous. Let's say this. See, there's all kinds of people in the Corinthian church, and there are some people in the Corinthian church that are upset with Paul. It's never happened here. Nobody's ever been upset with me. Never. Okay? My mom was once or twice, and I deserved it. No, we understand that every pastor 
has probably had somebody upset with them. And sometimes it's just because they're snowflakes. They're easily offended. And sometimes it's because the pastor is um, easy at offending, okay? And it could be either one. And, uh, you know, but every pastor is going to find somebody, sometime, somewhere, somebody's going to get offended. And some of you may have been offended with what I just said. I don't know. But they were offended with Paul. They were upset with Paul. And, um, and some of them were trying to prove that he wasn't an apostle, that he wasn't, had never really seen Jesus, that his gospel was a false gospel. Now, here's what happened. As Paul left to go on to other churches, to plant churches, to, to strengthen the churches, um, usurpers came in, okay? I can't remember the word I really want, but they came in and they started preaching another gospel, which isn't really a gospel at all, okay? They started saying, you can't believe what Paul said. Now, here's the thing. These people that came in probably never even met Paul. They might have heard some of the teachings, but they probably never even met him. They didn't know him. They didn't understand what he was about and who he was and, and how much uh, he had to suffer for the Lord's sake. They didn't know any of those things, but yet they were coming in bad-mouthing him, saying bad things about him, and people were believing him, them. So you have people in the church, the, the church in Corinth, that knew Paul that had met Paul, people in the church that had heard the gospel of Jesus Christ through Paul and had responded to that gospel and trusted in Christ for their personal and their eternal salvation. And now you got somebody coming outside from outside the church that didn't know Paul, and these guys who had met him are believing them instead of what they had seen with Paul. Pretty crazy, isn't it? Pretty ridiculous, isn't it? And it's, it's, it's weird how sometimes that kind of thing happens. And, and so he's defending himself and said, do I need letters from outside the church? To tell you about me? Or maybe I need this. Maybe I need a letter from somebody who's part of the congregation. This is what he says here. Letters of commendation from you. Do I need a letter of commendation from you, somebody in the church, to recommend me back to you? Is there one person in the church that will write a letter for me to recommend me back to you so that you can get to know me again? All of these are just kind of ridiculous questions and ridiculous thoughts. Uh, and he says, we don't need any of that stuff. And here's why. Because you are our epistle written in our hearts. By the way, just so you know, that word epistle, that word epistle means um, letter, <laughs> you know? Uh, he says, are we, are we going all over this again, showing you our credentials? Um, are, are we, do we have to go through all of that stuff? And he said, that's ridiculous. Um, <laughs> and here's another thought, uh, another idea. Um, Has our relationship sunk to such a low that I have to call on outside parties to vouch for me? You know, that's the question that he was asking. Do I have to do that? Is our relationship in that kind of a, a bad situation, such a low situation that you trust me so little that I have to call on somebody outside to vouch for me? Here's what's interesting. When he had gone to Corinth to preach and to teach and to lead people to Christ, he was there for quite a while and he got to know the people. And if now they're listening to somebody from outside the church that didn't know Paul, he's saying to them, basically, um, you should know better. You should know. You have seen me. You have watched me. You have listened to me. You have sat under my teaching for so long. And if you don't know who I am, if you don't know what I'm about, if you don't know my heart, then you haven't been paying attention. You haven't even been listening. You know, there's a meme that somebody put up recently, and I thought it was kind of interesting. I can't quote it exactly, but, um, but basically it's, it's somebody says, oh, I didn't know that, and it's a church person. You ever been through this? You ever done this? I didn't know that. 
Well, it's in the bulletin. <laughs> okay, or it's in the newsletter. Or, well, we announced it, or it was on the announcement screen, and I didn't know that. Um, and somebody asked me recently, in fact, it was my son, he said, you know, it'd be great to do video announcements and have a video up here. And I thought, well, that's okay. But people would pay a little bit more attention if it's actually a human being standing up or speaking. Because you know what happens? And I'm guilty of this, okay? And this is how I know. Um, maybe you're better than me. But if it was a video announcement on the screen, I'm probably not paying attention to it if it's before the service starts, okay? I'm going to be out greeting people and talking to people and saying hi and all that kind of stuff uh, and maybe trying to make sure I have my notes in order, okay? Doing those kind of things instead of paying attention to this. If I have the announcements and I'm making the announcements myself, guess what? I know you're listening. You know one of the ways I know you're listening? Because I'm asking you if I missed anything. And so you're thinking through all of those things, okay? All right? And so um, sometimes we just don't listen. And I wonder if maybe that's what happened with them. And he said, listen, if you don't know me, if you don't know what my heart is, if you don't know these things about me, then it's because you're not paying attention. Because he spent quite a bit of time there ministering to them, sharing the gospel with them, preaching with them, living a life of need and want sometimes because he didn't want to be a burden to them financially. He says, if you don't know me, it's because you are not and have not been paying attention. And he says, I don't need letters of recommendation. Why? Because you are, uh, are our letters. You are our letters written in our hearts. Um, I think about this idea of a letter written in a heart, and I think about this idea of a letter of recommendation. Um, you ever seen somebody on Facebook put IOS or ISO in search of? They're looking for somebody maybe to do some painting or to maybe to clean their gutters or to replace a roof or something like that. What are they doing? They're looking for a recommendation, okay? They're looking for somebody that has had experience with somebody else that knows that they'll do a good job at a decent price, okay, in search of. That's what they're doing. And sometimes this letter of recommendation is a good thing. Paul says our letter of recommendation, our epistle is you. You are our epistle. Now, how, he can, how can he say that? He can say that because as he worked and ministered and preached and taught at Corinth, many people came to Christ. Many people became followers of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he says, they are, you are our epistles. And what does he say about that? In our hearts, known and read by all men. Known and read by all men. Um, I don't write letters, partly because nobody could read them, okay? But my wife writes a letter every week or so to her mother. And I, I don't know if my mom wishes I would do that or not, but it'd have to be typed um, because she couldn't read it and that wouldn't work. But my wife writes a letter to her mother every week and her mother writes a letter to her. Now, her mother probably reads that letter to her sisters, so everybody else gets the news down there too. I don't get to read the letter that Kathy's mom writes to her. And that's okay. I'm not complaining. It's just it's a letter to her. If she wants to tell me the information that's in there, she can do that. But I don't read the letter. So that letter is to her, one person. It's not read and seen by everybody, okay? But guess what? These living epistles, these living letters, which you are and which the Corinthians were, are seen and read by everybody. 
He says, you are our epistle, our letter, our living letter, because the Spirit of God has given you life, and you are this living letter, this witness in this community and even in all of Macedonia of what God has done in you. And if you are that living letter of what God has done in you, who was the one who brought you that good news? Paul. He says, I don't need any other letters. We have this evidence in you that Christ worked in you. And guess what? If, if Christ really worked in you, and I'm the one that brought you that news, then my apostleship is true. And if you say my apostleship is true, Paul says, if you say my apostleship is not true, then guess what you're saying? The message I brought to you about Jesus Christ is not real either, and neither is your salvation in him. And so he says, you are our epistle, written on our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. I like that. You are our epistle, but you're an epistle of Christ. Why? Because ultimately, Christ is one who wrote the living letter, wrote them as a living letter. Christ is the one who gives them that life. Christ is the one who died for them on the cross and rose from the grave. I love that phrase in the song. The lamb conquered death. You ever seen a lamb conquer death? No. Most of them are just sheepish. I was trying to find a better word, but that one works. They're scared of things. You know, they jump and they, they run, and, and they're not going to come to you unless you're their shepherd. And this one, Jesus Christ, conquered death. And so he is the one who give the, give, gave them, clearly you are an epistle of Christ. He is the one who gave them life. You're an epistle of Christ ministered by us, ministered by us. Um, diakonia, uh, deacon, served by us. You're an epistle of Christ served by us. We brought you the good news of Christ. We served you. You became an epistle of Christ. Um, written not with ink. I like this. is really cool too. Written not with ink, but by the spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh. That is of the heart. Not written with ink. The letters that he would normally write, the letters of recommendation, the letters of introduction, they would come on tablets of ink, okay? Uh, written with ink on papyrus or on some kind of uh, sheepskin. Uh, written with ink, but, and then the Ten Commandments, the Ten Commandments. This is where he's going with this one, tablets of stone, those Ten Commandments of Moses. He's kind of comparing the ministry of his ministry of, the Mo of Moses uh, with the ministry of Moses. Moses brought the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments, which, which do what? What do the Ten Commandments do? They remind them that you can't follow every law, that you're, that you're sinful, that you can't do it on your own, that you can't save yourself from death, sin, hell, and the grave. But then the gospel of Jesus Christ does. Okay, so he's comparing the two of these, but he says, um, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. And so this letter, these letters, these living letters, the Corinthians, and also us, are not written on tablets with ink, but on our hearts by the Spirit of the living God. And I want you to see how he's done this. This is interesting if you look at this. An epistle of Christ, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Letters of Christ, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. What do you see there? You see the Trinity. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit, all working together to bring us salvation in Christ. So, not on tablets of stone, and I love this picture here, but on tablets of flesh, not on tablets of stone. He's going back here again to that Mosaic covenant, okay? When uh, Moses went to the top of the mountain. Moses went to the top of the mountain. He was there for 40 days and 40 nights. And um, 
and he was talking to God. God gave him the Ten Commandments. And the Bible tells us that God wrote those Ten Commandments on that stone with his own hand. Okay? Um, and Moses went down from the mountain, and he saw the people and how rebellious they were already after 40 days of his absence, and he smashed the tablets. I mean, in, in a way, all of that kind of proves that we can't live a sinless life. It kind of proves that we all need Jesus Christ to save us from our sin. That the law, the Ten Commandments, and even the, that's the abbreviated law, if you will. I mean, you can read through Deuteronomy and Leviticus and you can see the other laws and you can see how expanded they were, okay? And how much God expanded on, on them and how much he, um, the, the, the uh, scribes and the Pharisees and the Sadducees expanded on them. We can't follow all of those. We can't do it on our own. And all that does is prove to us that we're dead, that we need Christ to gain life. But by the Spirit of the living God, you're an epistle, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, not on tablets of stones, but on tablets of flesh, that is of the heart. And, and we see that, that what he did was he gives us life, not through the law, but life through Jesus Christ and through that new covenant. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. I love this picture. We have trust through Christ toward God. You think about um, uh, John chapter 17, verse 3. You remember what that says? Uh, uh, it says that, um, that uh, and th this is eternal life, that they would know you, the Father, and Jesus Christ, His Son. That's eternal life. How do we know Christ? How do we have eternal life? We do it through Christ toward God. And so these may not be completely connected. Um, Paul may not have been thinking of John 17, 3 when he wrote this. And we have such trust through Christ toward God. And this is how we do our ministry. We live our life that way. You see, it's interesting that um, a lot of people, and I don't want to say a lot, but some people, walk the aisle, they hear the gospel, they, for whatever reason, they feel like it's time for them to, to join the church, to get baptized, it's time for them to receive Christ. They come, they pray a prayer, and maybe that prayer is sincere, and maybe it's false. Maybe they just pray that prayer because somebody else wants them to or because they really want to just go get baptized, which is interesting to me too. Um, but that's all they do. They live, they, they, I'm good now, everything's fine. I don't need anything more. It's interesting to me that we, so many people, it's interesting to me that there's a possibility that some people trust Christ for their eternal salvation, but they don't trust him for this life here. And when I read this verse, I see that he's talking not just about an eternal trust through Christ. He's talking about this trust, too, for his salvation, eternal salvation, and for living this life. And you think about the life that Paul lived. I'm glad he was Paul and I'm not. Okay? I mean, what a difficult life he had. Think about all the times he was beaten, the times he was whipped, the times he was shipwrecked, the times he had to go without food, the times he was cold and even naked and starving. Think about all those things. And that doesn't happen to me. If I'm cold, it's because somebody's turned the air conditioner down too far. Okay? It's not because I can't heat my house. Or it's because... It, so, so we don't have to live that life. He, and, and yet we can trust Christ for everything that we have and everything that we need. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. I, I, it takes me to Philippians chapter 3. 
And it's probably one of my favorite verses to remind me a little bit about what Paul did and who he was. Because the Apostle Paul was probably one of the, um, he was one of the preeminent theologians in, um, in Hebrew life of that day. He was the one that people would look to to learn from, okay? And yet, here's what he says. Finally, brethren, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord, for, for me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Repetition is the mother of skill, right? Beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the mutilation, for we are the circumcision who worship God in the Spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. Have no confidence in the flesh. Okay, that's important coming from the Apostle Paul because that's one of the things that they accused him of was having confidence in himself and who he was and what he could do. And um, he says, have no confidence in the flesh, though I must might also might have confidence in the flesh. If anyone else thinks he has may have confidence in the flesh, I am more so. Now, he's writing to the Philippians here, not to the Corinthians. Okay, but I want you to get to this. He says, circumcise the eighth day. That's one of the very first things that should happen to a Hebrew boy. Circumcised the eighth day. It was done. Of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, concerning the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. All of those things, that was, I mean, if he would write that thing to a, a synagogue, okay, they would go, bring him in. We got him. He's good. We want to hear what he has to say. He is the one we can learn from, okay? That's what they would say. But then he says this, but what things were gained to me, these I have counted loss for Christ. Yet indeed I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, that I may gain Christ. So when he says this, not to think that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. What he's trying to say here is, I don't rely on everything that I've learned. I don't rely on being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, being circumcised the eighth day. I don't rely on being of the tribe of Benjamin, uh, uh, of Israel. I don't rely on being a Sadducee. I don't rely on all those things for my ministry and for who I am. It's all because of Christ. Not from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Now, it's interesting here because you think about this, and I wonder if this was a 24-7 thing for him. It's easy sometimes to get discouraged, to get down, and to go, woe is me. Oh, I wonder, I wonder something. Um, did you know that my car died on the interstate last Saturday, not yesterday, the Saturday before that, it just died, just quit, it said I had uh, over 100 miles to empty, and then all of a sudden I looked down, I heard it chug, I looked down and it said, zero miles to empty, it didn't say it out loud, but it could have yelled at me, okay, and I'm thinking, what is going on, so I think, okay, I can't make it to the exit, it's seven miles away, so I pull over to the side of the road, and uh, and I called the Illinois State Police, and I call. Anyway, you've heard part of the story. The story goes that, guess what? I had to replace the fuel pump. Woe is me. I had to replace the fuel pump. Everybody paid for a fuel pump recently? Woe is me. Woe is me. You know, my wife is sick. She has that. <laughs> and uh, swollen eye rash on the forehead woe is me 
some of you are sick. And I am not as compassionate as many people, but I think about those things. I have concerns. I pray. I hurt for you. Woe is me. And I wonder how many of us look at things that way. My wife tells me I need to be more optimistic, more positive. And I try to be. But guess what? My car's fixed. I mean, woe is me. My car broke down. Forget that. It's over. Hallelujah. My car is repaired. It's running again. It's even getting a little bit better gas mileage. Guess what? My wife has meds. She's going to be okay. It's going to take care of things. So I wonder if sometimes in our life, instead of, you know, we look at these bad things that are happening to us, and we don't see the good part of that. I mean, I have a car. I have a pretty reliable car. Been to Texas a couple times. That was the purpose of buying this one, so that it could be used to take the family to Texas and bring them back from visiting family. It's done that and taken care of things. It gets me to work. Hallelujah, I have a car. Did I have to replace the fuel pump? Yeah, so what? Big deal, right? My wife has shingles. Guess what? She's going to be okay. Good news is I can't get shingles from shingles, and I've had chicken pox, so I'm good. I'm fine. I don't have to sleep in the spare room. Hallelujah. And, and so, you know, I'm, I mean, Kathy, I'm, you're probably listening. I love you. And, and, and I appreciate the fact that you help me be more positive and optimistic instead of such a negative person. Thank you. And so that's a good thing. Sometimes, and I, I think Paul kind of lived that way, you know? Things, I mean, so many things, negative things, bad things, harmful things happened to Paul, and yet he said, I'm just casting all that aside, and I'm going to live my life trusting Christ toward God 24-7, every bit of my life, every day of my life. Paul was better than me. I mean, you know, if, if you put it on a scale of 1 to 10, well, there's not enough difference there. It'd have to go 1 to 100, okay, to show how much better Paul was than me. But it should be a challenge for all of us to try to live that way, to trust, have such trust through Christ toward God, knowing that our sufficiency isn't in ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God, who made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. See, because some people were saying, Paul, you're not good enough. We want somebody else. You're not good enough. And Paul's saying, listen, all these things, all those uh, letters of recommendation, all these things that he qu- I, I read you in Phil- Philippians, guess what? Those don't matter. They didn't make me sufficient. God made me sufficient through Christ. And you know what? That's so cool. You know why? Because I didn't study all the Hebrew law like Paul did, and neither did you. And because Christ is in you, guess what? He has made you sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Every one of us. And to me, that's a great challenge. What is the new covenant? I love this. And I, I, you know I love the idea of covenant. I'm reading a book. <clears throat> I'm reading about six of them, but I'll tell you about one of them. It's called Beginning at Moses. And it's talking about the covenant. And when was the first time in the scripture that we see the idea of covenant? It's in Genesis. It's in Genesis when Adam and Eve sin and God pronounces punishment on them. And he says to Eve, you're going to, in childbirth, you're going to labor, it's going to be tough. 
and he looks at the devil and he says, and there's going to be one of her seed that's going to come. He is going to crush your, you'll bruise his heel and he's going to crush your head. That's the first idea of covenant because that's a promise made by God that he will not go back on. It's a promise made by God that, that from then until the time of Christ, he's going to keep that covenant. He's going to keep that promise. Oh, and he had opportunity to not keep that promise. Okay? Because remember what happened with Noah? Noah built a boat, a huge boat. Took him 100 years to build that boat. But you know what happened? The world became so bad and so sinful that God decided he was going to destroy the world. He could have destroyed all of them, couldn't he? He could have destroyed Noah and all of his family. But then where would that promise be that he had made to Adam and Eve? He wouldn't have any, any humanity left from the original Adam and Eve to bring about that seed of hers to crush the head of Satan. So Ad, Noah found favor in the eyes of God. And God rescued Noah. And he continued that covenant promise that he made. With Abraham, did the same thing. With Moses, he did the same thing. And then here comes David. And David was a sinful man. Not all the time. He had a heart after, you know, the man after God's own heart. But then he sinned. And David, when Nathan came to him, said, Nathan said, told him this, the parable about the sheep. And he said, David said, that man should die. You notice what happened to David? God forgave him. God didn't kill him. Any other man in the kingdom would have been put to death. But you know why David wasn't? Because there was a covenant promise that was coming. A covenant promise that was coming through King David and through Solomon, who was not yet born. Covenant promise that God had made, and he had to fulfill that promise. And so David was forgiven. And soon, through the lineage of David, comes Jesus Christ. And you know what, you know what um, the Apostle Paul writes about the new covenant? Here's what he writes. In instituting the Lord's Supper, he talks about, For I received from the Lord that which I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, Take, eat, this is my body which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Then he writes this, In the same manner, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. That's the new covenant. You see, in, in, in uh, ancient times, when a covenant was made, there was a price to get out of the covenant. And most of the time, the price in some of those, if you broke the covenant, sometimes that price was death. When God made a covenant, he didn't ask anything of anybody else. He made the covenant. He was the one that made the promise. He was the one that said, I'm going to stick to this covenant. And when Jesus Christ died on the cross, his blood was the blood of that new covenant. And the Apostle Paul says to us here, that he has made us ministers of the new covenant. The only way he can do that is to apply the blood of Christ to our lives to wash away our sin. And if our sin is washed away, then we are, we are ministers of the new covenant in Christ Jesus. And so, then he says, not of the letter, but of the spirit, for the letter kills, but the spirit gives life. I like his, his uh, play on words here, okay? Not of the letter. Remember, he'd been writing a letter, okay? But of the spirit, for the letter kills. The letter kills. The 
law kills. It only shows you that you're worthy of death, but the Spirit gives life. So cool. In defending his own apostleship, that he gets straight to the, to the gospel and to the new covenant. And if we are forgiven by Christ, if our sin is washed away by the blood of Christ, if Christ has given us new life, if the Lamb of God has taken away your sin and my sin, then we are ministers of the new covenant. If not, then it's time that he does. It's time that you say, Jesus, I'm ready. I need to give my life to you. I need to trust you for eternal salvation. And if you have that eternal salvation, then we need to be ministering the new covenant, Jesus Christ, to those that we know. We have a hymn of invitation, and I believe it's I Surrender All. And in just a minute, we're going to have you stand, and I'm going to come to the front. And if there's a decision that you need to make, whether it's to receive Christ or just a time where you're ready for prayer or need some prayer, whether it's to... Uh, Commit your life to following Him more closely. Whatever it is, the decision that you need to make, I'm going to be here ready to receive you uh, as we sing. But first, let's pray. Father, I thank you again for your love. God, I thank you that you sent your Son, Jesus Christ, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world, that we don't have to worry about our sin being washed away because, or washing away our own sin or getting rid of our own sin because you did it through your Son. Father, I thank you for that assurance. God, I pray that as we celebrate every day the forgiveness of sin in Christ, we celebrate it also by sharing the truth of the forgiveness of sin with those that we know who need to hear. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.